Welcome back to the Hubscale podcast. Today we have Tony D'Angelo, a longtime federal public sector and enterprise leader. Tony, it's great to have you on. Elliot, thanks for having me. Good, good to be with you today. No problem. Thank you so much for coming on. And so I guess just giving a quick introduction to yourself to the listeners, uh, that'd be great. Sure. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm based in the Washington, D.C. area. I've been in the uh, IT industry over, over 30 years now. Um, most of my career is, uh, you know, ha having, uh, you know, being based in Washington, most of my career is, has been, uh, focused on us federal. Um, but I've also done quite a bit with, uh, just gen in general us public sector. So that includes the state and local education market as well. Um, healthcare and, uh, and I've even, um, at, at, at very, in various roles had uh, commercial enterprise roll up to me as well. So, and, and even a little bit of, uh, of, of carrier. So I've, I've been able to kind of round out my career with a lot of different elements of, uh, in terms of customer vertical, customer focus. Yeah. Awesome. And, um, so I know obviously you've spent time at uh, Polygon, um, Proofpoint, and of course now obviously stepped up into, uh, lookout, uh, is it four years now you've nearly been there? Yeah, that's correct. Coming up on four years. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about Lookout and, and what's your mission? Yeah, Lookout. We've been around uh, about 12 years. Uh, we have our, our roots based in, in mobile endpoint security. So it's really where we got our start protecting the mobile device. So the uh, you think the phone, the tablet, um, and even, even Chromebooks. And, uh, and recently, we've expanded that to the cloud security space. So um, it's very timely for, for a number of reasons. With uh, with the pandemic and everybody and you know people being forced to work from home that had the ability to work from home, um, it completely broke down the the, the traditional uh, you know uh, if you think of the, the castle and moat setup in terms of uh, networks, people working in an office, localized data centers, and then in 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 conjunction with that, this big move to the cloud. So we have these scenarios now where people are working from anywhere. Um, on any device, any network, and trying to access all the, the 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 traditional work assets that they've they've wanted to access when they were actually in the office. So it's completely broken the model. Um, these uh, these cloud these software based cloud security tools are are going to be very very important as uh, um, for all any agency or company moving forward that's that's moving data to the cloud, and that, that's virtually everybody. They're, either they have moved data to the cloud. Or they are in the process of moving it to the cloud, and then in addition to that, the uh, the U.S. federal government has has put out a series of mandates over the last couple of years around zero trust, zero trust architecture. Um, they've got some some very well defined architecture documents, both within the federal civilian agencies as well as defense agencies, about how those architecture should be structured, and and uh, and we find ourselves in a really good spot where we can support the mobile endpoint all the way up to protecting the user and the data in, in the cloud. And we've got some really unique differentiators in how we do that around, um, about, around protecting the data wherever the data goes and, um, and protecting the user and, and, and the device. It's just this kind of notion of continuous conditional access. So it's a really exciting um, time for Lookout and, uh, and where we've expanded the company. And uh, we, we've dramatically increased the size of the company to, to capitalize on this market, which is really just exploding. Yeah, no, for sure. No, it sounds, um, sounds a very exciting space, especially the move into, into the cloud, cloud security area as well. So that's, uh, that's fantastic. So I guess today is a really interesting topic for me is around the federal and the public sector space. Um, as I'm sure you know, and I definitely do know that 
the federal uh, U.S. federal pouring billions into cybersecurity and everything along those lines as well. So I guess how does the federal markets differ from other markets, especially when you're working within a vendor? Yeah, it's a good question. It's if I go, it's funny if I go back to the early part of my career, um, the federal government was actually uh, uh, they were they were effectively leading in terms of uh, adopting new technology. They um, even even on the defense side, they would they were very much uh, into what was new, what could take them, you know, launch them forward and get them ahead in terms of IT and, and data protection and things like that. But over the years, and, and frankly, uh, admittedly, over the decades, you know, we, we've seen that position kind of reverse itself, where um, because of the, the scale, the complexity, um, the number of people that are involved, the, the funding situation. So we, we've seen that, that situation flip and the government tends to lag a little bit. So I think they, they, they have the benefit of kind of watching large commercial enterprise and watching the, um, the major initiatives that are occurring with, you know, the, the, the Fortune 500, the Fortune 1000, looking at the vendors assessing the, those technologies. But, uh, you know, the, the couple, there's a couple other things that, that kind of play into that. One is, um, uh, you know, a lot of these large projects have become very centralized. So, um, you know, you go back a couple of decades, things were very distributed. There were a lot of different uh, decision makers at, at at lower, more localized levels, but these projects have become so complex and, and standardized that they op that they function at a very higher level within the government. So what that means is they're typically um, they're typically large centrally funded programs, uh, which means there's a large federal systems integrator involved. There's centralized funding. There's a lot of planning. Um, there's you know large RFPs and, and awards, oftentimes a protest and delays. So you can kind of see the uh, the wheels of government and and how they impact a lot of these projects but the good news is is, is these projects are, are typically very well designed they're very well organized so once they get going um and they and they, they get momentum they, they tend to go on for years and years and years I mean, the navy's had a a program that's morphed a couple of times that's really you know it's 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 almost it's really over 20 years old now it's, it's changed si's a couple of times but it, at, the, at the root of it it's had the same um uh, the same intent which is you know is to, to effectively outsource and provide it infrastructure and security to you know to the u.s navy um there are a lot of other programs that are like that so the other the other problem that um and, and i think it's good that the government has figured out how to do a lot of that outsourcing because one of the challenges that they have is the um as uh, uh, as our industry has evolved um, you know, we're all fortunate in this industry that the pay scale is quite high, but the government has a challenge and they've got some, um, some static levels in terms of pay grade. So it's difficult for them to attract and retain talent in, in the areas of, of IT. So the, it, some of those people actually get to the top end of the pay scale very quickly. And then companies like, frankly, like Lookout and, and other IT, you know, pr companies in the private sector will tend to hire a lot of those, those top top talent out of out of the government leaving them even in a more precarious position so hence they they, they are kind of tend to be more project managers where they will create and initiate a project they'll outsource it to a large you know federal systems integrator um and and that and then a lot of the talent lies there and then lies with you know in the vendor community as well so we, we see that trend occurring too yeah yeah, no, for sure. No, it's definitely an interesting topic, especially the uh, the talent side of it as well. Is 
how can you actually attract the best talent within within any any company, no, no matter if it's government or or on the vendor side as well? So, no, it's definitely interesting. Um, so I guess I want to kind of switch it onto the vendor side. Um, so obviously spending a lot of time in in the federal and public sector space myself, and I know obviously you and I know each other for a few months now. But how can vendors uh, really invest into the federal space? Because as you know, you really need a lot of investment when stepping into the in, into the arena. So what advice would you give to vendors looking to get into federal or looking to get into uh, the public sector space? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I've been down that road a couple of times. Um, it's not for the faint of heart. You have to have a strong stomach if you're if you're entering the federal space for for the first time. And um, as we were talking just a few moments before the podcast, when you when you put a plan together, it doesn't always go as planned, right? You have to you have to have your end goal in mind, and then you know the path to success. Um, uh, there, there's a lot of twists and turns in those roads, but I would I would say that. For the most part, if a um, if a company at a, at its kind of headquarters level decides, you know, the CEO and executive branch of a private sector company wants to make an investment in federal, that uh, most of the time they will uh, they will find key individuals, kind of in the Washington area, or or people that just have a lot of experience in federal. So that team typically knows how to do it and what to do. Um, and I would I would encourage the uh, you know the the leaders that maybe don't know the the public sector space as well to have patience because um, I, I would I kind of sum it up as follows I think virtually every company wants to do federal business um, they don't necessarily understand what it takes to do federal business nor do they have the the patience for how long it takes to do federal business so it could mean um, you know, there's massive investments if you're if you're a, a software based SaaS company. It's investing in 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 getting security authorizations for your products through the the FedRAMP process, um, because if if it's not FedRAMPed, the uh, the government will will largely not acquire it. They're not supposed to be able to acquire. You you might find a few outliers, but you're not going to build a strong business without your FedRAMP authorization. Um, that can cost you know that that can be a seven figure investment for for a company to. To be able to to apply all those security controls to your existing SaaS solution that you use for your commercial clients, you know, and should you be putting a a second instance of your software platform into a GovCloud, um, you know, from one of the big cloud providers, that that that's a big decision to be made as well. Um, investing in uh, in in the federal systems integrated relationships, um, and then the other thing too is. Uh, one of the things that I, I find has the highest failure rate for a lot of companies that want to get into the federal space is they they put a um, uh, an incentive plan in place, or I should say that the incentive plan that's put in place for the the field sales and marketing personnel is exactly the same as what they have for their commercial enterprise people. But the problem is, if you've never done any federal business, you're probably not going to take your first order for eighteen to twenty four months. So it's hard to keep a team around. Um, you know, and uh, when they're really, you know, when they're not making the the income that they that they desire that they signed up for, so I would also encourage people to have flexibility and and uh, and what do what they need to do to invest in the people as well to ensure that if they believe they have the right team, find a way to keep them there and and show that you understand that this is going to take a while and that you know that kind of that we're all in this together mentality. Yeah, and just uh, just touching on that last point a little bit there, how would you? How would you do that then? Stepping into a business, say for example, if you moved into a startup company, how would you incentivize the the reps that are not going to get maybe any commission for the next eighteen months? 
Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I, I've seen it done a couple of different ways. Um, I've seen it done um, where, you know, people are effectively uh, on a, on a, on an MBO plan, right? Where there's, um, they're, they're, they're bonused based on certain milestones that they want to achieve, right? Maybe it's getting a, a, a customer that is willing to sponsor you for FedRAMP because that, that's a big one. You can't really go into the FedRAMP process very easily without having a sponsor per se. So have to get a customer sponsor, um, get a couple of customers to even trial it. Now they probably won't buy it, but to get them to trial it, um, you know, uh, doing some branding and awareness campaigns with inside, you know, the, um, the, the public sector space. So creating some, some incentives where if you do this, we can, we can provide you some level of compensation and, and, and all those, all those goals and objective obviously have to be things that you want to do that, you know, we're going to inch you closer and closer to, uh, to, 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 to building that business. I've also seen, um, I've also seen organizations do this successfully where they don't really go out and hire um, you, kind of what you would think of as typical salespeople or, or systems engineers that are in the field. They start out more with, um, with leaders or business development people or people that have a lot of experience in the federal integrator community and, and, and tend to build it that way. So it becomes almost like a kind of a skunk works project where you, you, you're incubating this business unit inside of the company but you're treating it completely different than you, than you treat the rest of, of your organizations. And, you know, and, and again, I've, I've seen it go wrong more than I've seen it go right where somebody wants federal or sled business and they hire a bunch of salespeople and they give them the same quota, the same compensation plan and, and, and set them off to, to go do it. And, and it and it tends to fail miserably. And then, you know, you'll, you'll cycle through a couple of generations of teams, which is unfortunate. And then until you finally get the momentum and get it right and build that business. But I think you can, you can save yourself a lot of time and money and frustration if you if you look at this business investment a little bit differently because it's a very unique vertical that requires extra expense special consideration different sets of skills and uh and awareness yeah no for sure it's great advice really great advice especially for people venturing um into the federal market for the first time so no really great advice tony um, and i'm sure you you see that a lot in your role correct i mean where <laughs> you see uh folks in the public sector that um you know we see a lot of these resumes people have been someplace for a year 18 months and there's nothing wrong with the candidate but they were they were put in a position where it was almost impossible to be successful and uh you know it's a, for, for a lot of people it just becomes a quality of life and, 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 you know, frankly, a cash flow issue, right? You need to be able to, to earn your income. And if, uh, if the company is not um, creating an environment for you to, to be successful um, over the long term, then there, there's, there's a lot of opportunity, as you know, in this industry and, you know, people will tend to move around. Yeah. No, I, I see it as well where the executive team actually put way too much pressure on the team as soon as they bring them through the door. Um, I've had multiple calls with many people, um, especially within the federal and public sector space where, the, the senior leadership are kind of after six months expecting huge results, but they, they, they need to take more time and obviously take their, take their investment a little bit more seriously, um, especially for the people, because it really upsets the, the individuals that come into a business expecting they're going to come in to grow something over a long term. Then they have to leave within six to 12 months, which is, um, which does happen, which does happen. Um, a, a former boss of mine used to have this line and I borrow it and I use it a lot. It's, uh, you know, when we, when he and I would talk about what we do in our life our levels well of course we're running we're running our individual businesses but ultimately we're in the people business yeah and if we can't 
um, create an environment that motivates people and, 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 and allows them to, to be successful, that's really a failure of leadership. So, you know, uh, these, these, these organizations that fail in the, in the public sector space, most of the time, it's not a failure by, of, of bringing the wrong people on board. It's a failure of leadership with the wrong expectations and, and the wrong plan, or, or frankly, no plan. That, that's usually the other, the, the bigger problem, right? As I kind of said a few minutes ago, it's, it's, uh, we're, we're going to treat it just like large enterprise or, you know, uh, small, medium business, and we're going to go after it. And that's absolutely the wrong approach. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely understand and I completely agree. I think, um, Every business is in the people business, really, aren't they? And uh, especially when there's there's real uh, longevity in, in a certain sector like federal as well. So but now we have, we, I mean, that's one of the topics today we wanted to discuss, leadership. Um, so I, I, I ask this question with everybody that comes on the podcast and I speak to obviously hundreds of people a month around and uh, around leadership. So I'd love to hear your your thoughts on how to really grow and scale an organization um, within the federal business and, and how do you really effectively do that as a leader? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I appreciate the question too. I mean, I, I think a lot about this and, you know, everybody has their own personality and their own style. And, you know, we all come from different backgrounds and different work experiences, but I have this philosophy and I, I say this, you know, when I interview people as well, whether they're going to be a direct report to me or they're just going to be somewhere in our organization is that, you know, we all spend more waking hours with our work colleagues than we do our families and friends. And while, you know, all of us, um, everybody's got a boss, everybody knows who they report to, everybody knows what their role is, um, that, that's, that's, that's kind of understood. But why, why does it have to be why does it have to be tense, right? Why does it have to be all business? I mean, I think it can be, it needs to be a collaborative and fun environment. And, uh, you know, if we're going to spend all this time with one another, we should like each other. We should be able to get along. We should be able to have fun. I mean, I, I love this industry. I love this business. It's certainly got its highs and lows. You know, you, you win a deal, you feel great. You lose a deal, you feel terrible. But that's kind of the excitement of, um, you know, it's it's like athletics, right? At the end of the day, there's uh, every Sunday with, you know, if you're talking about American football or any sport there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser right and uh and but but you still get up and you want to participate in that every day i uh I've, I've as i've gotten later into my career i kind of feel like my my brand in this area is, is creating a work environment where people feel safe they feel comfortable being themselves they get to work within their own style we have a lot of fun i like to get to know people on a personal level i mean i typically know the you know, the, the names of their, their kids and spouses after a certain period of time. And, and they know mine because I think those are important elements and uh, I don't want to make it all business. Um, you know, now somebody could probably accuse me of, you know, of, of uh, you're uh, being, making it too personal or it's too friendly, but, you know, I, I, I grew up in a family that had some family businesses and, and it was, it was the employees were just an extension of the family. And, and I think if you kind of create those work environments, you're going to create, a, um, a, a scenario where people stay around for a very long time. They're, they're eventually going to stick around. They're going to make money. They're going to feel successful. They're going to feel valued. They know that I care and that the other managers care about them. And uh, and I think that's, that's the best environment. The, our industry is way too transient. This is not you know, IBM in 1960, where, where people are going to work there for 30 years and retire and get a pension. It's it's not how our industry is. So if we're going to spend all this time working with folks like you to to find the best and brightest talent out there, how do we keep them around? And, and it's creating that right culture in that environment. It's not just a compensation plan. It's not just whether or not we've got a great product. 
It's not whether the territory is, is you know, spending a lot of money in our space. It's, it's all those other softer items that are, are a little more difficult to measure. But it's, uh, and even now with COVID and you and I are doing this call over, over video, right? As opposed to face-to-face, um, it's, it's more isolating and we have to try even harder to make sure that people uh, care. I, I, uh, with, 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 I do step level meetings with, so with, with my sales managers, sales reps, they're not direct reports to me. But once a month, I have a one-on-one with them. I don't ask them about their forecast. I don't ask them about their their any any specific deals. We just talk about how things are going, where I can help, and then and frankly, half the call is around social things, just kind of seeing what they're doing, what they did in the summer, what kind of plans they have coming up. So just just so that they that I don't get too far from them, but they know that you know that they're valued in the organization. I think those things are important and. Um, you, you see, you have to have to make time for it again. It's, it's back to being in the people business, and I think those are the most successful leaders. It's it's that kind of General Electric Jack Welch mentality, right? Which is you know, he was tough, he was effective, but you know he was a people guy, and 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 he was well liked, he was well respected, which is just as important, if not more important, than being well liked, and uh, and and people uh, people felt comfortable in that environment, and and they were successful. People can be at their best when they're comfortable and they feel safe. Yeah, even just that last point you mentioned there, people perform best when they feel valued. Um, and especially when you were talking a little bit about, um, obviously, when you're working with the people, finding out their kind of home life and everything along those lines as well. If you don't do that side of it as well, and it's all just a compensation game, then people will just leave for more money as well. So it's um, it's a mixture of everything. And uh, honestly, brilliant, brilliant points there, Tony. And, and obviously, it's uh, maybe I might come work for you one day. <laughs> <laughs> hey the way this your, your podcasts are going i'll come work for you so uh, <laughs> congratulations on your success yeah no appreciate it appreciate it no um well tony um th- there's just one more topic i want to uh, discuss today and it's just quickly about the federal um u.s cyber security area um it'd just be great to hear your thoughts on where it's going to be in the next two three four year five years yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I, it's, uh, I think with, with federal kind of, as, as we spoke a little bit ago, they, when they, when they take on a project, it tends to take a little while for it to evolve and develop. So it's usually not that difficult to see where they're going to be in two to five years because it's pretty much where they say they're going to be in two to five years, right? Because they, they've laid out and case in point, they, um, about 18 months ago or so, they laid out these zero trust initiatives. Um, and, and there are, there are funding initiatives and completion dates in the 2024 to 2025 time period. So as we sit late into 2022, we already know where they're supposed to be by 2025. So, and, and, and what the plan is. So I think, um, um, but more specifically, what that means is uh, you're going to see move to the cloud, right? Um, there, there are still a lot of government data centers. There are still a lot of you know private applications sitting behind firewalls that are like more network based. But I think you're going to see a lot of this stuff move to the cloud. You're going to see a uh, a continued, or I should say, even an expansion of the mobile workforce. The government was very much against uh, teleworking when the pandemic hit. Uh, they were they were forced to uh, adopt that, like the, like the rest of us. Um, they scrambled from a technology perspective to put enough. Um, uh, to put enough things into place where people could effectively do their jobs and do their jobs securely. That, that's, a, that's proven to be a difficult task, but we even see government agencies um, selling real estate and shuttering uh, their office space and, and moving to hoteling cubicles and offices 
uh, and, and encouraging people to work from home. So this is a very, and actually the current uh, presidential administration versus the prior one is, is much more in favor of telework. And part of it is probably because, you know, they were, they got uh, the, you know, the, there was kind of midstream in the pandemic and, and they began to see the, you know, the, the telework actually working well and, and people getting to a, a point where they're, um, uh, where they're effective and, uh, and, and getting a lot of work done, uh, very, very high productivity. But um, so in this move to the cloud and then being able to secure the data wherever the data resides, creating an environment where these these solutions are, are highly effective and collaborative, where if I share data with you, um, it, it protects uh, private data that maybe shouldn't have been shared. It flags things. It watches our behavior, how how we how we function. All those things, I think, are um, are, are going to are there are tools that are exist today. It's going to take the government a little a little bit of time before they can wrap their arms around and begin utilizing all those tools. But uh, again, move to the cloud and telework are are going to drive so much of this and this this being able to any user, any device, any network, anywhere, anytime mentality where um where the the network perimeter is gone it's all software based it's all cloud based and uh and this you know this notion of access through hardware and network perimeters is it's completely gone yeah no for sure no it's very insightful and um i'll be staying close to the uh the public sector space as well i i love it <laughs> but um but tony honestly thank you so much for today we've gone through a lot of really important topics um and yeah i really appreciate you coming on the podcast and and hopefully we'll do one in the in the future as well. Yeah, look forward to it. Thanks for having me. And again, congratulations uh, for all your success and uh, best of luck. I will continue watching all of these podcasts as they roll out. <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks, well, Elliot. Thank you, Tony. Bye-bye. All right. Be well. Bye.